Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Going to the book of Luke, the 15th chapter. And if you get there, keep your thumb there, mark it. We're going to be talking about this chapter for a little bit. One of our incredible parables, set of parables that the Lord gives to us. And I'm going to read verse 31 and 32 to get our starting point. I'm going to be talking about two lost sons tonight. About two lost sons. Luke chapter 15 and verse 31. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is yours. I come to tell you tonight, all that he has is yours. It's mine. 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. Amen. Son, you're ever with me, and all that I have is yours. Lord, I thank you, God, to be called your son. Lord, I want to make sure that I'm appropriating what you have for me, that our church, Lord God, is laying claim, Lord, to what's in the house. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your provision. God, and we're going to rejoice with you over prodigals that come home. We're going to shout, Lord, and we're going to join in the party. And we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We're going to talk about two lost sons. Luke, the 15th chapter, tells the story of things that were lost and were found. It is, I guess you could say, the lost and found chapter of the New Testament. Jesus delivers three parables, three stories about three different things that were lost and are found. We have the the story of the lost sheep, that is of a hundred that is found. Then we have the lost coin, that is one of ten that is found. And then we have the lost son that is found. Heaven likes to find lost things. Heaven rejoices over finding lost things. The angels of glory rejoice over lost things repenting. Amen. To understand the full force of chapter 15 and the stories, you have to go back to chapter 14 and get a little bit of continuity of what Jesus is talking about and what Jesus is speaking about that made the the stories begin to come alive. You will find that he's teaching about the cost of discipleship. He says, if anyone comes to me, he has to, these are hard sayings, but this is what he says. He has to hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. That's a hard pill to swallow. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your family. Oh, by the way, and yourself. Now, if you look at the context of where, where he is preaching and teaching, I think this tells us a little bit about who Jesus is because a great crowd begins to follow him. And so he preaches and teaches to them, and that's the first thing he did. Jesus was good at whittling down crowds. He was very good at getting right to the point because I think what he wanted to do is find those that were truly interested in discipleship. And sometimes... 
He speaks to us hard things because discipleship is costly. And then he said, whoever does not bear his own cross cannot come and follow me. If you don't take up your cross, you can't follow me. This is what he's teaching about. Amen. If you're going to desire to build a tower, then you must first sit down and consider the cost. What is he saying? If you want to be my disciple, then you better sit down and consider that there is a cost to this. And these are the kinds of things that he's teaching to, to the crowd. And there's a group of scribes and Pharisees, a group of translators and lawyers of the, of, the, of the scriptures. And then you got the most spiritual group of that day, which is the Pharisees. And they're watching this and they're listening to this. And, and, and I guarantee you that was not sitting well with them. Amen. What Jesus is telling is that a disciple of Jesus Christ is not for the faint at heart. It requires that we love Jesus first and foremost. Everyone has a cross to bear. Everyone. Everyone has a, a, a something that they need to surrender over to him completely. Now, saving grace, brothers and sisters, is free. But the cost of discipleship is us. It requires everything if we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are we willing to lay down our life? Are we willing to lay down our love? Are we willing to say, He is my love supreme? Even above my family, even above myself, He is the one I love supreme. Then we go into chapter 15, which is con con continuing this, this, this present discussion. And then we find that then drew near unto him the publicans. It doesn't say republicans. The publicans, who were they? They were Jewish tax collectors. No Hebrew liked the publicans. They were friends of the Romans, and they come collecting near taxes. Nobody liked them. But then drew near to Jesus was the tax collectors and sinners. Who was sinners? Sinners were heathen. They did not believe the law. They didn't follow the law. They were, they were the, the, the outcast. Uh, if they were a Gentile, they were a sinner. If they were a Hebrew that didn't practice the law, they were a sinner. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners. What they meant to be a slam was really a wonderful statement. This man receiveth sinners. For you see, the scribes were so holy, you had to stay away from them. The Pharisees were so holy, you could not touch them. The rabbis were so pure and had made themselves so clean that you could not even brush up against them. Stay away, holy, holy. And Jesus said, the one that is the holiest of all, the one that has no sin and is spotless, he said, publicans, come on. You're detested by everybody. I love you and I will reach for you. Sinners, I receive you. Right now you're in a place where you need salvation. Amen. It says that Jesus received sinners. Can I tell you today, he still receives sinners because he received me. He received me. Praise God. To receive means to take at hand, to receive favorably, to accept and embrace. Jesus receives sinners. He not only receives sinners, he touches sinners and allows them to touch him. Amen. He allows them access to him. He allows us to have access to him. He receives sinners. He not only receives them, he receives them and eats with them. He does he, he has hospitality and fellowship with them. Amen. Jesus developed a relationship with sinners. But every sinner, he developed a relationship. Every publican, he developed a relationship. Every Pharisee that he developed a relationship had one thing in mind. And that is, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is the foundation. I was lost, and he come to save me. I was lost, and he come to save me. I thank you, Lord, for saving my soul.
Jesus came seeking the lost and he still seeks the lost. He did not send the holy angel to come and, and save the lost because they could not. But the almighty God of heaven that spans the universe robed himself in flesh to come and save the world. And he come looking for those that were lost. Paul said it like this, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... He died for us. Before I was ever born, he died for me, knowing I was lost. Jesus loved like no one else. Jesus reached like no one else. Jesus received others like no one else. When others would be turned away, he received them. When those like the woman at the well with, with, with a messed up life, he received them. Amen. He was constantly reaching out and touching and being touched by children that was supposed to be too beneath him, by sinners that was not supposed to touch him, by women that washed his feet with their hair. Amen. Why? Because he's got a mission tonight, and that is to save the lost. Can I tell you, I know that's not a popular message today to say that somebody is lost. But there is a world that is lost and going to hell. Amen. There are backsliders tonight that are lost without God. And then there are people that are in church that are lost. Jesus received sinners all ages, all races, all degrees, all social status. Jesus received sinners. Jesus received them freely openly and tenderly. Amen. This man received them in the state of sin, but he didn't leave them there. He said to the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, go and sin no more. Amen. This man receives to save. This man loves sinners to save them. This man receives to give grace and mercy to those that do not deserve grace and mercy. He receives to redeem. He receives to pardon. He receives to cleanse. Oh, I thank God that he's not giving up on you and he's not giving up on me. Jesus is consistent, seeking and saving the lost. That's his mission. Can you thank him today? Can you thank him for that today? Hallelujah. Yes, discipleship is hard at times. But it's worth it because my sins are gone. And not only is it worth it, I don't do it out of obligation. I do it out of love. I love him above mom and dad and wife and daughter and son and children and grandchildren and even myself. Love him above because that's the status of my Savior. That's the place of my Savior. Amen. Because he brought me out of the miry clay and set my feet on the rock to say I was lost and he saved me. And so it is behind this backdrop, this backdrop that is behind this story, he starts telling about a lost sheep. It isn't strange for a shepherd to be concerned about a lost sheep because lost sheep are a frequent problem with shepherds and sheep. Sheep love to go to stray. If you've ever read... Uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Keller. If you've ever read, I think maybe it'd be Philip Keller's Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. What a powerful book. But in that book, I believe it is, where he talks about he, he was a shepherd, and he talks about how he had an a, 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 a old ewe that he called her Miss Gadabout because all she did was want to walk the fence line and find a way to get out. It was constantly looking how to get out. And he said, I actually had to take her and break her leg to break her of that habit. 
the desire to, I got to get out. I'm going to leave. But the problem with the sheep is that if a sheep ever leaves the fold and and the others, if a sheep leaves and it gets lost, they cannot find their way back. They are directionally impaired. They cannot find their way back. And so they'll get lost away from where they are. And the shepherd has got to go after them, leave the 90 and 9 in a secure fold, but he's going to go after that one that is lost. And so we find that Jesus says lost sheep matter even if it's one. Lost sheep matter even if it is one. Amen. The shepherd knows if he doesn't find the sheep soon, the wild dogs and the beasts of the field will find him. Then I love what the picture is when the shepherd finds this sheep. In in verse 5 he says, and when he had found it, He lay it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Come on, the stubborn, ignorant, idiotic, directionally impaired sheep. I'd picked it up and broke his leg too. But that's not our shepherd. He picks it up, puts it on his shoulder, and rejoices. And rejoices. Hallelujah. He rejoices over finding lost things. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He doesn't say, Well, good luck, Charlie Brown. See you next time. I don't care if you're in a ravine somewhere or whether you're being attacked somewhere. I'm, no, he says, I'm going to go look for that sheep until I find it, and then I'm going to invite everybody to rejoice with me over that lost sheep being found. Then he says in verse 7, he gives to us the kingdom principle when he says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The Lord is telling us in this great context of this parable is that heaven is looking for lost so heaven can have a party over the lost. So he has a lost sheep. Then he says, he tells about the story of a lost coin. When a woman had 10 silver pieces and she loses one in her house, it's not outside, but it's inside the house. The shepherd went looking for one out of 100, and this woman went looking for one out of 10. The value begins to, to, to get higher and higher. The coin may be lost, but it's valuable. Because it retains its value even if it's undercover somewhere. It retains its value, but you have to use it. you got to go find it. Amen. It was lost in the house. So what does she do? She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house and searches carefully until she finds it. Amen. Why does Jesus hand out, hang out with tax collectors and, and heathens and sinners? Why does he hang out with those that are, that are uh, lost? Because he wants wants to find them and see them saved. The angel of God rejoice over one sinner that repents. Sinners who repent. Sinners who change their mind. Not just people that shake a preacher's hand or say a sinner's prayer, but they repent. That's what he rejoices over. He doesn't rejoice over somebody that says, I confess that he is Lord And they never repent. They never repent. They never change their mind. They are never uh, 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 taking on the name of Jesus in water baptism or filled with his spirit. Uh, So we find that this this lost son uh, is now the next story. The story then is of the lost son. The third story here before us, we often call it, what's the third story? The story of the prodigal. Son, it's really the story of two sons that are lost. Two sons that are lost. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, we see son number two. Just going to mention him and then we're going to walk through some of this story and try to put some pieces together in this beautiful story. Max Lucado, who is an incredible author and writer and, and great wordsmith, said this is the best, one of the best stories that, of all literature. The story of these sons. 
Luke 15 and 11, he said, a certain man. Wherever you find that phrase, certain man, it's no longer just a parable. It is a story of something that actually happened. Okay? It, though we call it a parable, it is really a rehearsing of no doubt a known story, or at least a part of the story that talks about a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The third or the second son, rather, it says this of him in, in, in verse 31. He said, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It is meet that I should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. But he didn't want to party with his brother. He didn't want to party with his dad. Why? Because he remembers the time that his brother, his younger brother, says to dad, I want my inheritance now. Do you know today that would be greatly, dis that would be so disrespectful of your parents to walk up and say, I can't wait for you to die. I need my inheritance now. I want my part of the property now. I want my segment of cows now. I want this now. I, I, I can't wait. And so he disrespects his father and demands his inheritance right now. How shameful is that? How shameful is that? How shameful it is, and I'm just going to sidebar and say how shameful it is if he, if he, if he decides that I, I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to get a job. I'm not going to work. And mom and dad are going to pay for my party. Just had to throw that in. So he says, give me. It is the spirit and sin of entitlement. Give me. I deserve it. I, I want it now. Pride and arrogance is in his heart when he says, give me. Give it to me now. Pay me now. I, I'm, I'm on a... I'm going to just want you to know that I, I, I want what I deserved. What, what I have on document, however long it took you, Dad, to get this, however long it's been in the family, however long it's been a part of our family, I don't care. I want it now because I want to go party. I want to go party. Amen. This son wanted an inheritance without a father, sin without misery, and pleasure without cost. So he takes all, whatever this is, it had to be land, it had to be animals and natural things like that that he was taken in. Now you, you got to understand the scripture says that the dad gave them their inheritance. So he gives the firstborn two-thirds and he gives the secondborn or the younger son one-third. So the firstborn gets more than the second son does, but the second son goes out in a few days. Somehow he liquidates all of those assets and somehow gets the money. I don't know what kind of deal he made, but he had to make a deal that when my dad dies, you can get the land. Because they couldn't take the land until the dad died. So he was a wheeler, dealer, schemer, and so he gets all of this money and turns it into cash. Can I say the only way that he could probably do that was to lower the price, to cheapen the price of the inheritance. Do you know who's watching this? Who's watching the disrespect of his dad? Who's watching the actions of his brother is the elder brother who had the authority of the firstborn to smack him around like a rubber doll. Amen. To put him in his place, but he we don't have any record of him saying, son, you need to go sit down. Brother, you need to go sit down. Amen. But here is he. He's sold everything. He's got everything. And he's going to now party. He's going to party. And the Bible said he took his journey into a far country. That would have been in a place 
where the Gentiles were, wherever there was a heathen country, it was any, side, any place outside of Israel. And there he wasted his substance with riotous living. It's interesting that the Bible says he wasted his substance with riotous living in the first part of that story. But when the brother tells about it, he said he wasted it with prostitutes. How'd you know, bro? Just a thought. We're headed there. He took his inheritance lived reckless, and wasted it. Riotous living means unrestrained and lawless. Amen. He just turned everything loose. Anything that I want, I'm going to get. I'm going to have it. I want to buy that? Got it. Want to date that? Got it. Want to attend that party? Got it. I want to do that thing? I've got it. And yet the day came when he spent all. And when Partyville became a famine, and he began to be in want, uh, is that he went and found himself uh, and connected himself to the lowest of lowest points that a Hebrew could do, and he began to work in the hog pen. He's lost. He's lost. He joined himself to a citizen of that country. He's tired. He's lonely. He's hungry, and he's lost. He would eat what he's feeding the pigs, but he's lost. He's losing weight. He's looking like he's just a, a slave to the, to the sin where he has been, and, and he's lost. That ego that was once way up here is no longer there. That pride that was once way up here are no longer there. The friends he used to party with have left him. And this is what he said. There is something I need to do. Amen. In Luke 15 and 17, it says he came to himself. Can I tell you, you can witness to somebody, you can give them Bible studies, you can, you can do all kinds of things with them and pray for them, but unless they come to themselves, they will remain in the pig pen lost. So we need to pray, oh God, would you let them come to themselves? Help them come to themselves. Take them to wherever they need to go to come to themselves. Bible said he came to himself and he says, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I come across a statement that Vance Havner, I believe a... a, a preacher that may have already been gone on now, but he made this statement. He said, there is a trend today that would put a new robe on the prodigal son while he's still feeding hogs. Some would put a ring on his finger while he's still in the pigsty. Others would paint the pigsty and advocate for bigger and better hog pens. Unquote. Amen. That, that prodigal didn't need help in that hog pen. He needed help getting out of that hog pen. Amen. I don't know about you, but that, that we could do a lot of good social things and help people, and I'm all for that. But I want to see them out of the hog pen. I want to see them out of the drugs. I want to see them out of, the of alcohol and family abuse and poverty and hopelessness. I want to see them out of it. Amen. Will you help me pray this year that we can see some folks get out of that to be saved in this hour? When he came to himself. Verse 20, he arose and came to his father. But he was a great way off. The father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can I ask you a question? Jesus, talking about the sheep, said the shepherd went after him. The sheep. The woman who lost the coin. The lady went after the coin. Why didn't the father go after the son? Why didn't dad go after the son? Oh, he may not know where he went. Well, the brother knew that he was sleeping with prostitutes. Why didn't the dad? Can I just tell you, there are some lost things that you've got to pray them in. 
You cannot go and get them. They will not listen to you. They will not receive you. And so you got to pray them in and watch for them to come because that's what the father was doing. As a matter of fact, some commentators said that he was way down the road because the normal thing to do when a, a, a son does what he did and waste their inheritance is that he would be, uh, uh, they would even throw stones at him, hurl accusations at him as he's coming back. But that father embraced him and welcomed him and walked with him all the way back to say, he's lost, but I found him. He's lost, but he's here now. Amen. I would to God that there would be something within us today that says, I may not even know where they are, but God does. So, Lord, wake them up in their hog pen. Wake them up. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can you see that scene? Can you see the tears of the dad and the son mingling together on their cheeks? He didn't care what he smelled like. He didn't care what he looked like, but he just went after him and hugged him. And then he brought him in and he says, bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. Put the best robe on him. Put the best robe. Get that identity and put it on him. Put the ring of family authority and put it on his finger. Put shoes that tells that this is an owner and not a slave. Let's get a good meal together. Let's feed him. Not with just something off of the shelf, but let's go get the best. That stall-fed calf. And make a meal. And then let's be merry. Compare with me just for a moment, and I know I'm not telling you anything new. I just felt like I needed to talk to you about this today. Compare to his younger brother. The older brother appeared to be the model citizen, even a saint, some would say. When his brother left, he stayed. He worked. He was faithful. But the truth of the matter is that he was just as lost as his younger brother. Luke 15, 25 says, Now his elder son was in the field. He's working. Good. And, he's, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Dude, you're the, you're the head of this house, so you're the firstborn of the house. Why are you going to a servant? Walk in there and find out for yourself. But he didn't. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he received him safe and sound. And what is his response? He was angry. Mercy. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him, compelled him. Encouraged him, come on in, son. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, not even his brother, thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, the father did, Son, thou art ever with me. Son, you're right here with me. And all that I have is yours. It was meet that we should be merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Amen. It doesn't say the father went looking for the younger brother, but it does say he went looking for the elder brother. The elder brother was responsible to help bring restoration to his brother, 
to build relationships and family as the firstborn. He is the one that should bring healing, but rather he had the spirit of self-righteousness upon him. He had the pride of his service. He, he rehearsed the sins of his younger brother, but he could not even on, he could not see his own sin. Amen. He could point out what his brother was doing wrong and how bad his prodigal life was, and yet he could not see within himself the gross error that he had in his heart. The younger brother's return took the elder by surprise and he became angry. How long do we need to see the spirit of an elder brother that says, I don't want them to repent. I don't want them to get right with God. Shame on the elder brother because he's just as lost as his other brother was. The younger brother was lost because he was pleasure-seeking playboy. The elder was lost because he was a high and mighty moralist. One was a prodigal. The other was a hypocrite. One is lost in a far country. The other's lost at home. Amen. One works hard to party. The other works hard to not look like the younger brother. One was lost because he broke the rules with acts of unrighteousness. The other was lost because he kept the rules in the spirit of self-righteousness. One lived for pleasure and the other lived for power and position and both were lost. I want to tell you, it's just as sad to see somebody in the house of God become so sanctimonious and proud that they don't, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't swear, I don't sleep around, I come to church every Sunday. I, you know, it's like I heard somebody say the other day, he said, coming to church don't make you a Christian any more than climbing a tree makes you a squirrel. What a sad day that the, that the elder the elder is in the place that he has the food. He's in the place that the fatted calf is there. He could have killed it any time. He could have asked daddy, let's have a party anytime. He could have said, dad, let, let, let's, let's, let's celebrate and do this. But he got so busy about working rather and producing rather than he did about his relationship with father. Amen. I want to tell you the greatest sin that I see that got a hold of the elder brother is complacency. Complacency. Amen. It was a, it was a, a spirit of, uh, I'm unaware of the spiritual danger and defect in my own life. I'm so self-satisfied and smug, amen, with my existing situation that I think I'm okay, but I've got to look at this from both sides. I thank God for the younger that came to himself, but we never find a time that the elder ever came to himself. I want to be in the house of God, but Lord, let me never live complacent about the blessings that you have for me here. Never, never, Lord, let me overlook that there's a power here I can't get with a drug, I can't get with a party. Never let me overlook, Lord, there is a grace here and a freedom here in your house. I can't get anywhere. Amen. I've been in this thing for a long time. But oh God, don't let an elder brother's spirit get a hold of me where I feel like I'm better than those that are less fortunate than me. But Lord, let me have a humble heart. Amen. Let me have a humble heart. The elder brother became complacent about the things he had. Son, all that I have is here all the time. What are you doing? The writer of Hebrews says it like this in 2 and 3. How shall we escape if we neglect? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard. There are people right now that are dying for what you have. 
They are dying for the move of God you feel on a weekly basis. They're dying for a relationship with a father that you have in your prayer closet by yourself with God. They are wanting what you have. I cannot afford to take that for granted. I've got to make sure that I understand I'm in father's house. Amen. And I want to respect my father. I want to give honor to my father. He brought me out of something that that was about to kill me. And he's blessed me. I'm glad to be in the house. Yes, I've been in here since I was a child. But Lord, don't let this Don't let this become something I become complacent about. I'm a third and fourth and fifth and sixth generation apostolic. Oh, praise God for heritage. But I'm not going to be complacent about truth, about righteousness, about godliness, about worship, about the word, about prayer. How do we deal with the Spirit of complacency that's so easy to come on the elder. Jesus said it like this. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray. That you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Stay alert. Be vigilant. Watch and pray. Be discerning. And pray. Let conviction hit your heart and pray. Let the word come across and pray. I don't want the voice of the word of God to become something that has become so repetitious that I hear it and I ignore it. How do I how do I combat that? How do I combat letting my pastor's voice become so so easy to me that I hear hear it, but I I don't really hear it? How How do I do that? Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Complacency and indifference are reactions of how we evaluate the things of God. Complacency settles in the sweet, soft confines of a sofa-like Christian experience. A little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Complacency. And the Lord says, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. He said in Isaiah 52 and 1, Awake! Awake! Put on strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for Henceforth thou shalt no more come into thee, the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. i got to shake it off. Shake it off. Got to shake complacency off. That I don't care attitude. I got to shake it off. The same old, same old routine. I got to shake it off. Amen. And realize, yes, I need consistency. I need Sunday morning. I need Sunday night. I need Tuesday night. I need my prayer time. I need my Bible reading. I need my relationship with God. And I don't want let let that to be like, okay, today I'm going to the field. I'm putting my I'm putting my my work clothes on, I'm going to the field and forget that sometimes I need to go pull a fatted calf out of the stall and say, I got a right to party. I got a right to thank God. I got a right to worship the Lord and enjoy his goodness. Hallelujah. In Mark 13, 32, it says, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man Know not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son but the Father. Take ye heed. Take ye heed. Watch and pray. Can I stop and tell you, before you sit down at that streaming network or that TV channel or that program, say a prayer. Because the enemy is so sadistic today with what is coming across these streaming networks that he's hiding. Some are blatant and open. You can tell it. But some is going to take discernment. Lord, is that an antichrist spirit that is just trying to come and teach me things that I should not be listening to? 
Is, is, is that something that I don't need to be a part of? Amen. Watch and pray. Verse 34, for the Son of Man is a man taking a far journey and left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house cometh at evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. How do I beat complacency? Watching, being alert, be sober, be vigilant. Amen. This is the hour that we cannot take one thing for granted. Not one thing for granted when it comes to the kingdom. Don't take your prayer life for granted. Amen. Because complacency can set in. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said in 1 Timothy 2 and 1, I exhort therefore that first of all. Somebody say first of all. <clears throat> supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. The first thing we ought to do is pray. Make it a priority. Pray. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Don't take Sunday night prayer for granted. Don't take a, a prayer meeting for granted. But certainly don't take your own prayer life for granted. It'll lead to complacency. Amen. Don't take holiness for granted. Don't take holiness and live in a separate, distinct God lifestyle. We are living holy in an unholy world. We're trying to be Christians in an antichrist world. Hallelujah. And Paul writes to a Corinthian church that was facing what we face today in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, maturing holiness in the fear of the Lord. Don't take holiness for granted. Doesn't mean that I get a holier than thou spirit. I still got to stay humble, but I need to take righteousness and holiness and embrace it. Don't take it for granted. Don't take faith for granted. The writer of Hebrews says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But with, he also said, Without faith, we cannot please God. It takes faith to experience holiness. Don't take your faith for granted. Don't take the truth of the gospel for granted. Amen. Paul said, for so, so much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't take truth for granted. Two lost brothers. One return. One we don't know. We don't know if he went into the party because the story abruptly stops and we're left with conjecture. Did he go in or didn't? Did he repent or didn't he? Don't know. But there was one brother that did. Amen. Search me, Lord. Stand with me, please. Search me, Lord. The writer of Psalms says in Psalm 19 and 12, who can understand his errors? Who can understand the fact that there's things in my heart that are secret faults, he says. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Every one of us in this building today have blind spots. Every one of us. You can try hard, but they're always there sometimes. That's why they call them blind spots. We don't see them. Cleanse me from those blind spots, Lord. Let me not, Lord, just simply hold on to my air, but willing to let it go and be cleansed. Verse 13 says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let me not be so arrogant, God. That I feel like I'm okay just living my life in some half lukewarm, 
half-hearted manner. Let me not have presumptuous sins. and Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright. I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Then he said, and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I want to see the backslider come, but I don't want to be lost in the house when he comes. I want to see the prodigal return, but I don't want to be lost full of complacency when he comes. My message to us tonight is let's take nothing for granted. Let's take nothing for granted. That Okay, we've got Tuesday night Bible study. I'm not going to take it for granted. I'm not just going to go because i got to go and, and, and do my duty. I'm not going to take it for granted. I'm not going to take Sunday morning for granted. I'm not going to take Sunday night for granted. Oh, Lord, let my spirit, God, appreciate worship, prayer, seeking your face, truth, holiness, righteousness, Come on, church. I think we all need to come to the altar today. I think we all need to just say, Lord, search me. Try me. Lord, let me not be complacent about the most wonderful thing this side of glory that I can experience. Lord, your presence, your love. Hallelujah. Let me not be a lost boy, oh God. Let me not be a lost son in the house, but let me be a serving son. Oh, God, that knows how to rejoice with the backslider that comes. That knows how to rejoice, Lord, with things that, oh, God, do not necessarily happen like I think they ought to be. But, Lord, you have your way. In the name of the Lord, search us, Lord. Search us, Lord. We're going to sing this song, but first I want to tell you, I want to tell you something. If the enemy speaks to you and says, you're all right, you don't have to search. You might be in trouble. If the Lord comes and says, here's a sin, it's different to be accused by the enemy, but when the Lord comes, he'll reveal it with a spotlight of conviction. Oh, Lord, let me receive it right quickly in the name of Jesus. Would you receive it quickly if it comes in conviction, if it comes in accusation, let it go. Amen. But, Lord, right now in your name, would you convict us? Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthen you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.